0: Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. We have a fantastic episode today on the CEO Story Podcast. We have Jay Connor, who is the founder and the CEO of Learning uh, Ovations down in Irvine, California. Jay, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. How are you being doing? Doing great, Casey. Just a joy to be with you. Fantastic. So, Jay, you are currently the founder and CEO, but Along the way and along your journey over the the few years you've been around, uh, you've done some fantastic things from being involved with a lot of boards, mentoring people, consulting people, and as well as having a great background in, in psychology initially. Can you kind of just give us a quick synopsis and a summary of yourself and then we can kind of dig into some of the journey along the way? Sure, no, that's perfect, Casey. Um, Again, as you mentioned, um, founded Learning
1: Ovations probably about four years ago, and this was an outgrowth of a consulting business that I had called Rubicon Partners, where we worked with communities across North America, Canada, as well as the US. So how did they really get sustainable outcomes? Whether we're talking about economics, whether we're talking about education, whether we're talking about uh, ecology. The problem when you're trying to get change at that very large level is that you have so many different players, so many moving parts. And then from that experience, uh, realized that third grade reading rates were a critical piece for all of those different outcome programs. And that's when I started learning innovations is really to work with the Department of Ed and other research one uh, researchers were headquartered right now at the University of California Irvine in terms of uh, what is the research and how are we sure that we can get all children reading at grade level which is uh, right now brain science unfortunately uh, we're dealing in this country with fewer than 50% of our children being able to read at grade level Uh, and this is fairly consistent for the last 25 years.
0: Yeah it was a big shock to me when we were speaking uh, off camera just how bigger problem that really solves. So thank you for doing that. But let's dig into your background and your history and how you came to this. So if we rewind backwards and you wanna take us through kind of your, uh, your past history. Yeah, I'm, I'm a real
1: believer in kind of choice points, you know, breakpoints. And so I'll just talk about two or three of those within me. And one of them came very early is after high school, I thought I wanted to be a priest and joined the Jesuits, which is a Catholic uh, society of priests. And within a year, I left the Jesuits for pretty much the same reason that I went there. And I think what that allowed me to understand, and this was at a very young age, is that you aren't captive by the choices you make, you're captive by how you respond to those choices. And so I, don't, had to, I didn't have to say that I had made a mistake to go to the Jesuits, but it would have been a mistake if I had continued on when it wasn't the right place. So I think that gave me that sense of enough insight and enough freedom to say then it, you are the contractor and constructor of your own life. And so that was a very critical piece. And then I think the, uh, the next real telling point, as you had mentioned Okay, see, I've been, you know, C-level and, you know, a number of Fortune, you know, 500 companies in that. What I tried to do in all of those situations was make sure that if we're going to achieve the results, it's not just about the bottom line. It's about achieving some sense of mission, something that is larger and more important than each of the individual's. So at each step along my career I had a real clarity in my own mind about how I could articulate why the work of each of the employees or each of the associates was so critical to be able to achieve this important outcome not just selling a widget or you know making enough bottom line dollars but because it changed people's lives. And so in many ways those are the kind of two driving forces that got me to the point that I am right now. One is that kind of clarity of the through line, that that you are in control of your own destiny. You are the one that is choosing and making choices uh, to get to your career. And the second point was, is the power of that aspiration, the power of how do you pull yourself forward by thinking about something larger than yourself. And certainly when 50% of the kids in the United States aren't reading at grade level, and we know that if they were, we'd have the end of the achievement gap. We'd have much more STEM uh, involvement. We'd have much better uh, uptake in terms of the, all of the skills that are going to be required for the 21st century, is that, that that again fills that mission requirement that I've looked for.
0: So when I'm, I'm hearing this, and obviously we've talked extensively off camera, um, there's, there's a lot of things that, that kind of pop out that come in front of mind. One of the phrases that you use that really resonate with me is you, you left the judge for the same reason you joined them, which was crazy and phenomenal. And it shows a change in yourself. Uh, can we talk about how you figured that out and kind of the thought processes that were going on? Because I think especially in the age that we live in right now, people get scared of making mistakes or perceived mistakes but in some ways, I don't see it as that. I frame it as a learning opportunity. So can you share a little bit about what was going on with you at that stage of your life? Absolutely. And I think the, the purpose that got
1: me to the Jesuits, you know, the, the reason to go there was how can I help the largest number of people? So it was still this kind of sense of how can I improve lives or outcomes for the largest number of people? As I was there in the Jesuits, I was realizing that that was not the forum, at least not the forum for me to be able to have that kind of impact that I wanted to have. There's a whole sorts of you know pieces that go into that. But the quote that you just used is really a quote from Thoreau. When he went to Walden and then he left Walden, he said, I'm leaving Walden for the same reason that I went there. And what he meant, and in many ways what I meant, is the compelling reason, the aspirational reason That we saw, well, maybe the Jesuits are best, or in his case, maybe living this frugal life on Walden Pond is the best case. When you realize that it isn't going to achieve that larger goal, pull the ripcord. Don't kind of keep trying to hold on and make it work. Try to say, boy, this is not going to get me to that goal. The goal that I had here was the right choice. How do I now, what I know now that I didn't know a year ago or two years ago, how do I then reapply that to what I know now? And what that allows us to do is to be very much thinking, rebuilding individuals. Always know that decisions that we are living with today were decisions that we made before we know what we know today. And so we should constantly be going back and saying, well, I know a lot more in that case, than that 18-year-old child that made that choice. So am I acting differently? Because if I'm not, then it's kind of like Einstein's definition of insanity. I'm doing the same thing over and over again for a different outcome. You know, portfolio of data.
0: Got it. So a lot of what I'm hearing here is you're coming from a place of where you can serve the most value to the most people. Have you always kind of had that drive within you to be able to to give your gifts or share your gifts and impact as many people as possible? Or where did that kind of frame of mind come from?
1: I've gone back and I've thought about that. And I always have had that as a choice or an evaluator, if you will, as how I evaluated myself. And so I can't point to a specific thing or a specific cultural exposure or whatever but i do what i take away from that is what is that thing larger than myself and so that's the bottom line for that and for other people it doesn't have to be you know framed in terms of you know i'm i'm going to serve other people it could be framed in many different ways but it has to i think come from that sense of what is larger than me because it's if it's framed as just about me then it's all about the constraints If it's framed about something larger than you, then your control in terms of what are those things that you apply and what are those things that you don't apply. And so it might be a mind game, KC, but it's one that worked very well for me because it allowed me to have this sense of agency that I can control, I can build, I can invest in those things that are going to allow me to accomplish that goal.
0: Yeah, I totally resonate with that. And I get asked this question a lot from a lot of people, hey Casey, how how can I grow to a seven or an eight figure firm mm-hmm. like you've done in a relatively short space of time? And I always come back to this, you need to add more value to others. And how do you do that? You've got to buy into an ethos of something bigger than yourself. So I'll just use myself as an example is when we're doing tax planning, we're not just tax planning for that individual, we're creating a structure for him, for his wife, or his kids, grandkids, that they can use forever as their family. And that's the bigger picture that now you're creating a purpose and a meaning behind just saving some tax dollars. Because saving in itself, yes, it's nice, but the impact it makes on your whole family for generations to come, that's the part that moves me the most. Absolutely.
1: And that's where you can bring other people into the mission with you. Because if it's just about you, how do you recruit people to that? Yeah. Because they're going to look at it in terms of what it's just about them. Whereas if you're able to articulate it as you did, as something that's larger you know, than yourself and needs other people to apply, that's yeah. how you can get a stickiness within an organization that people don't want to leave. Yeah. That people yeah. understand their contributions, and actually they're already over the horizon in terms of doing those things that – you haven't had the chance to even dream of yet because you're building onto their dreams as well.
0: Absolutely. So looking back over your years and some of the low points, let's just focus on some of the testing times that you went through. What were some of those challenges, and kind of how did you come through that adversity? Well, you know, when you
1: when you allow yourself as early as 18 to say, "Okay, I'm going to repot myself," sometimes you repot yourself and you land on you know clay and you're just not in that strong of environment. And so I think where I probably would see the the most kind of negative situations were those situations where when I made a choice for all of the best data that I had at that point, and I misanticipated or I missed a critical point uh, that I should have considered along the way. And then I think at that point in time, it's like, well, how do I deal with that? How do I respond to that? Um, and as you get older, you know, an 18-year-old, he's only dealing with how do I personally respond to that and how I move that. As you get older, if you leave a large corporation to, you know, run your own business, you then have a family and then you have a kids and you have others that are responsible within that. But for me, I never changed that expectation that we have to be able to do more and better with ourselves because then I can't be the dad for my kids. I can't be the best husband for my wife. So there were some bumps along the way, but the same principles allowed me to deal with those bumps as allowed me to deal with uh, the successes as well.
0: Fantastic, yeah. I think a lot of what you say makes great sense to me in terms of don't change who you are and who your values are as a person, even though there's different constraints and pressures that are going to be placed on you, depending on which situation you are. It's kind of staying true to that and kind of following that through. As long as, yes, absolutely, Casey. As long as you know you're not
1: completely oblivious to the reality and your connection with the world. If, for some extent, you keep getting you know running your head against the wall, maybe your aspiration, maybe that thing that you're looking for, really isn't something that you should be doing. So you're always checking with that. But if it is a guiding principle, that, no, I can see where this makes sense. I can see where this was a mistake or a different choice that I made can still allow you then to uh, drive forward but constantly assessing your choices.
0: Got it. So let's fast forward a little bit to the creation of learning innovations and, and how people can go from inception to creating a multi seven-figure business within a a few years. You've only been around, what, eight so years. Um, So for the people listening that are stuck or kind of need some help or guidance in that direction, can you share some of your thoughts on how you initially first came across an issue that needed to be resolved and then actively put your time into it before fully committing to it? Because there's a lot of different stages going on there.
1: No, absolutely. And I think, so if we back up in terms of what initially brought me to the core value that Learning Innovations offers now, it was a completely different context. As I was trying to say, how do communities achieve much better, more systemic outcomes? And as I was working with them, I was then trying to say, how do I get the impediments out of their ways? How do I help them think about achieving their goals in better ways? And then that got me to the fact of third grade reading rates being very constrained to any kind of community outcomes. You can't get educational outcomes. You can't get economic outcomes if half your kids aren't able to read. And so then with that focus, I said, that's going to enable all of the other work that I participated in. That's going to streamline. That's going to make that much easier. So somebody has to focus in on that particular uh, change state. And so that's what got me involved with you know, Research One Universities and the U.S. Department of Education is there are a lot of good people doing good things, but none of them were systemically being applied, focused on getting to the results. So lots of players could sit back and say, okay, my fragment is okay, but we all know that you can have lots of good pieces, but if they don't coalesce into a mosaic, they're not going to give you a, a picture. They're not going to tell you how do you get to a result? So then, once we were able to say, all right, here's how we can achieve that result, then you have to start with a bit of humility. You've gotta be able to say, "What? how do I grow an organization organically in such a way that I've got to do some of those things that are in day one. I've got to empty the trash, or I've got to be the one that is also playing the role of the HR department or whatever that is. Not because you're just trying to save money, but you're trying to say, I some way need to have that insight. So then down the road, as I'm bringing on the new director of human resources, I know exactly what it is that they need to do to be able to propel the company forward. So in many ways, I think where a lot of folks that have a really good idea and actually have a really good demonstration of ideas is they want to act out as if they've already been successful as opposed to acting out, what are the steps that I have to go through to assure this being successful? What do I need to know that I don't know right now? And so that, that sense of humility, still propelling forward, still looking at how do we get more and more success but then, how do you build an organization? I think you've got to bring that level of humility in terms of I've got to bring compliments to this organization with an E. You know, people that can balance me off, bring new skill sets, new talents that I was able to bring to uh, the issue. And I think that's it's that balance of humility plus clarity of that outcome and that mission that's the balance. That's the right point.
0: So, there's a couple of things I just want to summarize. I think what you said, or at least the key points that I heard, was one is you might have a good idea, but what you did at least is you chunked down into the root cause because you knew there was an issue up, upstream, and then you are like, what is the real cause of this issue? And you got it down to like the third grade reading level. So for people that are listening that want to apply that in their own industry, it's just the same principle of, okay, what problem are you going to solve And then what's the cause of that issue? And really digging deep into that. And then the next part of what you mentioned was become really a master at it. Don't pretend, don't be a fake guru or an overnight success because we all know that those things aren't real. It's put the time and attention and the effort into really learning that, being able to come up with a solution, and that will help attract the right people in so you can build a bigger organization and solve that problem um, in a holistic way rather than just a patch. Absolutely, Casey. And I think it's so important to
1: the biggest point of opportunity is to ask the question when people say, well, that's the way we've always done it. Or that's the way it's been done.
0: One of the phrases case, that I hate the most in business yeah. when someone says that to me.
1: Or in my case, uh, we've failed these results for 20 years, so therefore it has to be the kids, it's not the adults. And say, so, well, wait a second. Why have we failed that for 20 years? And what can we do? Because we're always going to have new kids. So the one thing that I can work with is the adults.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's a perspective ch- shift. And like you said, it's been more progressive than reactive right and and this is what we do on the cfo services side it's like it's fine having a bookkeeper or a controller but that's all dealing with things that have already happened in the past what are you dealing with a strategy standpoint looking forward to be able to gauge shift and pivot to ultimately improve so you get a better result Absolutely.
1: And that's why I think the last time we talked, I used analogy that we use in our company a, a lot. And that is all of us need to figure out how do we skate to where the puck's going to be, Absolutely. the Wayne Gretzky analogy. And that then forces everybody in the organization to have this sense of over the horizon. It's not just, you know, oh there's not just somebody in a corner office that is thinking about strategy. I want the entire organization to think about that because if the entire organization is thinking about that, By the time you begin to move in that direction, people are already starting
0: to move there. Absolutely. So back to the OKRs and the traction tools that we previously spoke about as well that helps everyone come together as one unit rather than multiple individuals. So I really like that. Um, So, Jay, as we look to end, we'd like to wrap up with uh, one question, and that is if you had to split your success between three factors – Uh, those factors being drive, skill, and luck, how would you do that? How would you apportion between those three?
1: I'd probably say 50-50, or 30-30-30, is that you always are gonna have a degree of luck. And I think as anybody that understands luck, is luck is a function of what have you done? What have you invested in? So it isn't a passive you know, win the lottery type of thing but it really is what have you worked forward? And then in many ways, there is luck. Is that uh, there is a connection. I can't tell you every week that I look at and there's something that's saying, oh my God, I didn't expect that to connect in that way or this person is being so gracious and generous in this other way. So luck does have an element of it. Um, I do think you can overcome a lot of um, weakness with drive is that that real sense that compulsion but make sure that drive is what we talked about is that it isn't about you know your personal bottom line but it's about what can you do or what what is something that is larger than yourself that can attract other people to it and then yes skills important but in many ways a really good leader is one that's very much aware of where their areas of weakness are, differentiation or uh just you know inability to totally grasp it And so you can recruit those skills as well. You can hire those skills. So i probably put it, you know, drive, luck, and skills, uh, because that's where I feel that um, I have the most control
0: in those areas. Perfect. Wow. That's a, see, everyone always has a different answer to that, and it's great to hear the different perspectives. So thank you so much for sharing. And if people wanted to reach out to you or contact you, what's the best way for them to do that? Well,
1: you know, um, our Twitter hander handle is hashtag L, capital L-O, and then small case, individualize, because that's exactly what we do for teachers and students. We individualize all of our resources for them. So it's hashtag L-O individualize. And the website is www.learningovations, O-V-A-T-I-O-N-S, uh, dot com. And the reason why we use ovations as opposed to innovations or something that Ovations is something where we sit back and respect the work that people have created for us. And so we want teachers to be able to be uh, receiving those, those bravos, those ovations, for the great outcomes that they're able to achieve.
0: That's fantastic. I really like that. And we'll put the links below for the people watching on YouTube and listening on the podcast so they can reach out to you directly. Jay, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. It's been fantastic learning from you. Casey, I, I truly enjoyed it, and we got to keep connecting. Absolutely.